0: hey what's going on everyone welcome to another episode of adventures in devops i'm your host for today will button and with me today is jonathan hall hello hello how you doing man i'm great how are you I am doing outstanding. I just got back from a couple of weeks vacation. I missed the last couple of podcasts. So I do. Too.
1: I've been on an unintentional vacation in a positive way. Not really. Oh no. Yeah, my wife's sister was supposed to come visit, and we had some complications due to COVID restrictions and airline mistakes. So she was delayed by three weeks, which meant I was on childcare duty for that time, which oh, wow. was great. I love taking care of my son. Yeah, but uh, it doesn't pay the bills. <laughs> so <laughs> right. sh- she arrived this morning, so uh, we're back on regular schedule. She's here for three months to to help with childcare while my wife and I pay the bills.
0: Well, you, you've got to get uh, like an Instagram or a TikTok channel for your child and get them sponsored and get them to contributing right, to the family celebrity. income. Yeah, yeah, there we go. I hadn't considered that. <laughs> Don't take advice <laughs> on raising kids from me. <laughs> but on a uh, DevOps related note, so today... We are gonna talk about like a roadmap of getting started into DevOps.
2: When I went freelance, I was still only a few years into my development career. My first contract, I was paid 60 bucks an hour. Due to feedback from my friends, I raised it to 120 bucks an hour on the next contract. And due to the podcasts I was involved in and the screencasts I had made in the past, I started getting calls from people I'd never even heard of who wanted me to do development work for them because I had done that kind of work or talked about or demonstrated that kind of work in the videos and podcasts that I was making. Within a year, I was able to more than double my freelancing rates, and I had more work than I could handle. If you're thinking about freelancing or have a profitable but not busy or fulfilling freelance practice, let me show you how to do it in my Dev Heroes Accelerator. Dev Heroes aren't just people who devs admire. They're also people who deliver for clients who know, like, and trust them. Let me help you double your income and fill your slowdowns. You can learn more at Dev Heroes devheroesaccelerator.com dot com.
0: And Jonathan and I both tend to work with uh, companies like earlier stage companies who are just starting their DevOps approach, you know, and have like a software development IT resources, but they're trying to figure out how to do this DevOps thing. And then the thing that triggered this was I've been seeing a lot of boot camps and even some colleges and universities offering DevOps programs as an alternative to like their regular computer science programs. And so I think it's really important At this point, for us to over communicate that DevOps really isn't something you can outsource, you know, it's everyone's got a stake in this game and trying to outsource DevOps to a specific team, in my opinion, is kind of like hiring a personal trainer and paying them to go work out for you. You know, it's just not really going to produce the results that you want. And, and unless
1: the results you want are really good looking personal trainer.
0: Right. So technically, yeah, you could hire the personal trainer and then hire someone with Photoshop skills. There you go. And on Instagram, you would nail it. You would be okay. nailing it.
1: And that's that's how it works with DevOps too, right? You 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 outsource your DevOps and then you post all over LinkedIn that you're doing DevOps. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: But yeah, so that's, that's kind of where we're going to go with this podcast today is because I think there are certain skills that certain individuals on your team need that are more DevOps oriented than others. But really it's important that everyone understands that we all have a role to play in this game. Because without that, you know, if you talk about like pre DevOps, the whole thing that inspired the DevOps movement, was the software engineering teams writing their code and then chucking it over the wall to IT and saying, it's your problem now, baby. And so when we create an isolated DevOps team, we've really not solved that problem, but we've actually made it worse because now we've put another wall to throw it over. So you've got your choice of walls to throw it over when you're done with your code. How do you
1: define DevOps? Maybe that would be a good place to start this conversation so that uh, our listeners know
0: whether or not we're talking about the same thing. Uh, That's a good point. So for me, I think of DevOps as being like the things that happen between the developer hitting save in their code editor to that code running on a production website, all the steps in between.
1: Yeah, that's fair. So that sounds like that includes more than, potentially includes more than just dev and ops, like maybe QA's in there too, and maybe some security and... Yeah. Maybe documentation writing and, and whatever else.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's a whole ton, a whole host of things that that have to happen in there or not have to happen, but could potentially could happen. happen. Yeah. yeah. And that's why, that's why it's the, you know, the multi-team approach, you know, because you've got the developer who writes the code and then they, they push it up to a repo somewhere and then that triggers a job to run the linter and the test suite on it and then if that passes they open a merge request and then the merge request goes to a peer review process and then it's merged into the main which kicks off a build process building docker containers tagging your docker images and then ultimately releasing that and then like you mentioned you know there could be some Manual QA done in there, depending on your application. At some point, we've got to have security in there, whether that's a dedicated security team or you know an automated checking system like Snick or some of the other security suites in there. Mm-hmm. And so it's yeah. it's not something that you can just assign to one person or one team.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I like that. I think that's a good working definition. So are we are we answering the question? How do I as an individual Get started with DevOps or how does my team get started with DevOps or do we want to tackle both of those?
0: I think it's, I think we're going to talk, tackle both of them because it starts with the individual, mm-hmm. you know, and, and ultimately you need, you know, right. You need team buy-in and stuff, but at some point someone has to say, man, there's got to be a better way. And then they stumble across DevOps and they're like, oh, how do I, how do I get these skills? And I think there's like two main paths into it. You know, I've seen a, a quite a few DevOps roadmaps that show like the skills you need to do DevOps. But to me, it feels like there's two main entry points in there. There's coming to DevOps as a software engineer and then coming to DevOps as someone with more of an IT sysadmin background. Yeah,
1: yeah I think those are the common ones. Although I actually recently, one of the readers on my daily mailing list sent me a personal message and said that they, uh, they're a QA uh, engineer or, or tester. And they approached DevOps from that standpoint that they were ta- that they were trying to give the developers more freedom to do their own testing, and and they found DevOps as a solution. So it was it was fascinating to me to see DevOps adopted from a QA standpoint because usually QA is kind of tacked on as an afterthought. So that was really encouraging to me. Yeah, no, that's a really good point.
0: That's when I I often overlook the QA teams, which yeah. probably says something about the. <laughs> You know, the way that I work. But it's true because um, one of the best DevOps people I've worked with was the same way. It came from a, a QA background and their whole philosophy was build these tools and suites so that the software engineers can do as much of this as they want to. Because in many cases, you know, the software engineers are just as frustrated as everyone else because they're focused on writing code. And they know this other stuff has to happen, but they don't know how. So when you give them a tool that enables them to do that, a lot of times they'll just take that and run with it.
1: Mm -hmm. So, Will, how did you get started with DevOps? What was your roadmap like looking back?
0: So mine, starting going all the way back, like I'll give you the short version, going all the way back to the mid-90s, I worked in it and then did software development and dot net and then bounced back and forth out of both of those but ultimately I ended up working for this company and i was uh on on the sysadmin team and every time we released code we had a production outage and i got to know the software developers over there and became friends with with and i picked up on this pattern that when we were in it and there was an outage we blamed the software developers for not knowing how to write code. And then when I was hanging out with my software development buddies, when there was an outage, they blamed IT for not knowing how to run the code. And at some point, I, I came to this conclusion, like, wait a minute, I know all of these people, you know, I hang out with them, I'm friends with all of them, I drink beer with them. I know that they're all very, very skilled people. So where's the breakdown here? And I just sort of started talking with both of them, figuring out, Whenever the software team was getting ready to build a new feature, you know, making sure that they knew what the constraints for the operating environments we had were. And whenever they uh, deployed it over to IT, making sure that the IT teams got like some kind of a, a heads up of what was coming and how they would built it and how it was supposed to operate. And so it was really that liaison that was the missing link between the two. And then I did that and then later learned that that was actually a term called DevOps. Mm-hmm.
1: I had a, a, a different story, I guess. I mean, some, certain similarities. I started with DevOps. Um, I was at a small company, and I ended up being, for a short time, the only developer on, on a particular product that was both shipped to customers, and we also we were in the process of or we had just started a, a cloud offering. This was back when SaaS was really new. It was yeah, early 2000s, I guess. So SaaS was a new concept. Right. And so I was responsible for installing the servers in the racks and writing the <laughs> software that ran on them <laughs> and keeping them running when customers called with complaints. So, you know, I I was that sort of I mean, it looked looking back, you know, I didn't know the term, but I would call myself, you know, I was sort of this full stack DevOps whatever you want to call it guy. I I did everything from cables to Writing front-end an JavaScript and everything in between, and uh, that's definitely grew, full
0: stack. <laughs>
1: <yeah>. <laughs> and then as as we grew, of course, you know, we hired a few other people, and then at some point we had a quote DevOps team. the the whole The whole thing that we kind of laugh at now, like you shouldn't have a DevOps team, and we were doing everything wrong in in that sense. We had the DevOps team that. that they were the ops team, really. But that's the first time I heard the term DevOps. So my introduction to DevOps was was a bad one because I was learning it all the wrong way. And it wasn't until a few years later that I started reading more about it. And I was like, this thing we did called DevOps wasn't really the real DevOps. That was yeah. that was fake DevOps. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so yeah, I, I guess I started by just having my fingers in all the pieces, all the all the parts of the the system. And over time, I, I, I specialized. Uh, I now focus more on backend when I'm coding. But yeah, I definitely touched everything. And so that's kind of how I got my... So, so I, I guess my mentality has kind of been, because we're all biased towards our own histories, right? Right. My, my thoughts have always been, well, everybody should know at least a little bit about everything. Yeah. Everybody should know how to do at least a basic SQL query and a little bit of JavaScript and a little bit of this and that. And And if you don't know how IP networking works, then if you don't know how to do a router, then what's wrong with you? you know, that That's kind of been my mentality from the beginning. So, of course, that's silly because not everybody does have all that experience and not everybody was, yeah, not everybody has my experience or, or my depth of experience in certain areas. But that's kind of been where I came from was this idea that I guess they call it a, it wasn't even a T-shape. What do you call a flat developer who has a little bit of experience everywhere and no depth at all?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think you call him Will Button. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But that's, that was kind of, that was kind of the way it, it was though, you know, and that's what spawned the whole thing is there was a time when we were doing this early on where there was nowhere else to turn. Like when something happened, you just had to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot more resources available now. So there's, I think that's probably the, the middle ground in there, you know, is you do need experience in a lot of those areas, but you don't have to have experience in all of those to do DevOps, you know, bring the expertise that you have and contribute that to a larger, larger project.
1: So if you were to start down that path today, how, what would you do? And would it be different than what you did in the actual past?
0: Yeah. You know, I, that's, this conversation actually comes up a lot with different people I talk to who want to do DevOps. And it's a real, it's a question I really struggle with. And I think my current line of thinking is to start with, you've got to, pick one discipline right whether you whichever one fascinates you more whether that's the the IT sys admin side of things or the software engineering side of things pick one of those and build a framework to stand on there and then work towards the other one cuz they're kind of like on opposite ends of the spectrum right and so pick one and work towards the other one versus jumping in the middle and trying to do it all at once. And I think for me personally, if I were to start all over, I think I would probably start with writing code first versus like hardware and OS. Mm -hmm. Although I'm not. Yeah.
1: If I were to start over, I don't know what I would do. I mean, I I don't know which one of those I would choose first. I, I definitely started with software first i was writing Commodore 64 basic uh, <laughs> when i was 10 years old <laughs> yeah and then later i started with the hardware stuff but I, i've always tended towards the developer side so i could i think i can more easily answer the question from a developer standpoint and i think my main advice to people and what i would do myself if i say had a few years of experience writing software whether it be in Commodore sixty four, basic, or PHP, or or whatever, it doesn't matter. I think my main advice would be learn how to deploy that software yourself on on AWS. That you're not going to become an AWS expert by doing that, but you're going to learn just enough of the pieces to start up a VM, uh, create your image, whether it's Docker or an AMI or whatever. You're going to learn just enough of that stuff, and and then automate it. Yeah, and then automate it. So you know, get it working first manually you know, with the command line or the web interface doesn't matter. Get your get your application running on AWS or Google or Azure, or it doesn't matter, your Raspberry Pi cluster in the corner. Get it running somewhere and then automate it. So every time you make a change, you run your tests, it gets rebuilt and redeployed automatically. And I think once you have that down, I mean, if I'm looking at CVs for a DevOps engineer and somebody tells me that they have set up a CI/CD pipeline to do automatic deployments for their Hello World application, they're going to jump to the top of the list. I don't care what they've done. I mean, that, that's probably more impressive to me than somebody who has six AWS certifications, because they've learned it on their own and they've and they've they've taken the initiative to to do those things. And I know that that person, if I task them with something, they can learn how to do it.
0: Yeah, I agree. That's a a self teaching process. You know, like you write your code. Oh, great! I got to deploy it. I guess that means you need a server. What's a server? You go down that path and you install it on the server. Well, it appears to be running, but I can't hit it. Oh, it's because the TCP port's not open. Oh, well, what's a TCP port, you know? And so like the, just the, the process itself teaches you the discipline, I think
1: and then you're going to learn about DNS and HTTPS certificates and and the list goes on and on. It sounds simple. There's a lot of moving pieces there though and you learn them all.
0: Yeah, and I think that way is much more instructive because you there's like a tangible outcome, right? Like all of this is because you want to see your hello world or you want to send your your mom or your girlfriend or your your grandparents to a website that you deployed. And so there's like this tangible reward at the end that you're not going to get if you and I just sit down and I start talking to you about DHCP options. Exactly.
2: Hey folks, it's Charles Maxwood and I just wanted to jump in here and let you know about something that I'm doing. It's free. It's out there just to help you get answers to your questions about the things that you're running into with your career. So if you have questions about how to get further ahead in your career, how to start a podcast, how to get a better job, how to get a raise, how to deal with a situation at work with your boss, or just maybe you're stuck and you don't know where to go next. You know, how do I get from junior to senior, senior to whatever's next? How do I become a speaker? How do I get to the next level? That's what I'm out here to do. So every Wednesday at 12 o'clock Mountain Time, I'm going to be doing a call, and it's going to be free, totally free. Go to devchat.tv slash level up, and you can register for the call. It's using Zoom's webinar software, so it's pretty straightforward, and what we're going to be doing is I'll do 10 minutes, and I'll just show you how I do some form of how I level up, and then we'll just answer questions, and it's not going to be a question and answer like, hey, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream, and then I say rocky road or whatever, right? Instead, what we're looking for is more along the lines of, yeah, I have this situation. How do I handle it? I'm trying to figure this thing out. How do I figure it out? I'm trying to stay current. How do I stay current? And if you have any of those kinds of questions, I'll bring you on the call. We'll ask some deeper questions. We'll make sure we get you a solid answer. And I, I'm really looking forward to helping some people out. There will be no sales, no selling, no nothing on these calls. It is literally just 10 minutes of training and then Q&A. So you can go check it out at devchat.tv slash level up.
1: My brother is going through this exact thing right now, actually. He's interested in uh, the data science side of things. So he, he knows a little bit of coding with some R and I think maybe Python. Uh, but he, he's also in a band. And so he's wanting to build a website to take registrations for a band event he's doing or something like that. So he's been asking me, how do I how do I publish this? How do I set up a database? So it's exactly the same thing. I mean, I I could walk him through it, but mostly I'm just pointing him like, here's where you look next. Come back when you have more questions.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it does take time, though. I think that's important to to clarify. There is just so much to uncover and so much to learn there that I think as For me, it's really hard to visualize what that would look like as a complete beginner, but it is a long path. And that's why I tell people, you don't have to wait until you've mastered all these things. Because if you look at like a DevOps roadmap, you know, there's a hundred different things on there. So it's it's kind of like becoming a surgeon, but not having to wait until you understand all the parts of the human body before you start cutting. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) based on my professional medical
1: experience. <laughs> Dr. Button here at your service. Right.
0: <laughs> Closely aligned with Dr. Nick from the Simpsons. Hello everybody. <laughs> All right, cool. So I guess we covered that.
1: Are we what else should we talk about? Uh, I feel like I feel like I feel like we just scratched the surface there. Uh, yeah,
0: we we did. So we really did scratch the surface.
1: We pointed people in the direction, but how long did we spend? What are we twenty minutes in or something? This is a pretty short episode so far, <laughs> right? I don't, I don't see the timer, but um, yeah, whatever. it's got to be I'm around sure
0: twenty long. minutes or so.
1: Yeah, I mean, we could, we could also talk about adopting it at a, as a team, but I, I feel like that's really a different topic for a different audience. Like, yeah. like my team, my team wants to, to convert to DevOps. How do we do that? I mean, we could talk, discuss that. Like I said, I think that's a different audience. So
0: let's talk about like because we mentioned that there's like two different ways into this through the software engineering route, building oh, yeah. and deploying your your own application. And I think that's a good roadmap for someone who has an interest in building and deploying their own website and approaching it from that. What about somebody from who's got more of a, who's more inclined from the hardware perspective? What's the approach for them to get into DevOps?
1: I have to put myself in their shoes because I, I haven't, cared about hardware for so long. <laughs> right. I, I used to be a hardware nerd. I had a modem rack in my in my bedroom and I had, you know, I built everything. Now I just like, give me a prefab machine that I can code on and I'm done.
0: Yeah. So I think for one for me, one of the things that jumps out is the process like the starting point is actually building and configuring a server. You know, you you boot it up, you log into it, you go through the package selection set up the root password all of that kind of stuff which is fine if you're doing one server but then you've got to do that on a second server and then a third server and then ultimately you know you're going to be doing it on depending on what scale you go to you could be doing it to who knows how many servers and so i think a good approach from there is to say okay i built this server you know, maybe even using a, just building it as a virtual machine on your your workstation. Now delete it and recreate it. I think that's a great entry path into DevOps practices.
1: That's a really good point. And that brings up memories, actually. Um, so, so this <laughs> this first job I was describing earlier where I was the the, the full stack everything. Um, we, so I, I said that we had just started a SaaS offering, but we also sold appliances, meaning that like you would buy a one-use server from us. We would pre-install the operating system and the software and ship it to your office and you'd install it in your own rack. So we had 150 or 200 of these servers in, in production. And of course, every week we sold one or two more and we had to do exactly that. So I, that's when I learned how to pre-seed a Debian installation or Ubuntu these days. Uh, you know, give it a config file that tells it exactly which packages to install. And what settings to use for each one and some manual scripting to do some of that stuff. So learning that sort of thing is an is an excellent way to learn to do this. And I, w- I would take the same approach. It doesn't have to be a Hello World app. It could be a mail server or a DNS server or, right. or a World of Warcraft server, whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> learn yeah. how to, you know, with one button, deploy your server into a VM or onto that new hardware in the corner, whatever it is. That's a great, great way to learn. Uh, and, and through the process you're going to probably learn tools like Chef or ansible I, I don't i don't even know those those tools very well um but there's a ton of tools to, to help you with that sort of stuff and that's a great great way to go and if you do it in the cloud you're going to probably want to use terraform or you're going to want to learn terraform eventually right that sort of stuff
0: yep yeah and that actually using something like uh one of the cloud providers gives you a lot more options for testing this, you know, and and building on your skill set. Because when you go to a cloud provider, um, great, you've built this thing. Now you've got to get access to it. So, time to learn what SSH is. And, oh, wait, that's publicly exposed. So, I should have that where not any script kitty can SSH into my server. So, you know, step one is SSH with private keys. And then step two is put it inside of a, a VPN or behind a firewall and set up a VPN tunnel to it.
1: Excellent. yeah. And when you're reading those Google or Amazon docs, I encourage you to read them thoroughly, Get especially the parts where it says, for best security, do this. Right, <laughs> yeah, because awesome. there's there's all there's always two options, you know, or at least sometimes there's three. You know, there's the option for yes, you can install MySQL and just leave it open to the world, and everybody in the world can connect to it. You should never do that. You should instead use a private network and and, and all these things. It takes longer. Uh, maybe you start with the insecure version just to make sure you you have it working and you didn't miss a vital step, but then go back and redo it the correct way uh, and and learn all of the stuff about networking and VPNs and, and SSH and all that stuff.
0: Yeah. And then I, that's the approach I absolutely recommend. And it's the one I use myself whenever I'm learning a new service, you know, first steps is I'll just focus on what does it take to get this service up and running? And then the second step is looking, Oh wait, that thing's sitting wide open. You know, what can I do to protect that? But by getting by doing it through that approach, you know, I know what the end service looks like. If you take it the other way and try to build it securely the first time, I have found that really frustrating because then it never works. And I'm troubled in my troubleshooting. I'm like, oh, is this a security issue? Is this a networking issue? Is this um, some other issue or did I just not build the service itself right? And So you're there's no there's no confidence into where you should begin your troubleshooting.
1: Exactly. And uh, I, I think, just a word of warning, these, if you start using cloud providers, I mean, even if you don't, but especially if you do, there are a lot of foreign concepts there. And, and the, your mental map of what you're doing is going to be wrong. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <Right. Probably.
1: laughs> and so when you think you're opening up some port on your VPS, on your virtual network or whatever, you're probably doing something else just because your mental ma- your mental concept of what's going on is wrong. It will be frustrating, but don't give up. Keep going. And, and eventually it will click and you realize, Oh, that's what's actually happening. And then you'll understand why something's working the way it is. Uh, but, but just like you said, Will, if, if you start with the, the complete solution, the complete secure one, you, there's just too many barriers, mental barriers potentially of, you know, reality doesn't match what you think you're doing. So start with the simplest thing and build yourself
0: up. Yeah. Yeah, because otherwise you're trying to learn 15 new technologies at once versus one at a time. Exactly. Cool. That feels kind of like a pretty good approach to me. Like if you're a software, if you are inclined towards software development, um, build your own software product and then deploy it to the world. Figure out how to automate that process. If you like playing with hardware, um, figure out how to... uh, Build and deploy your hardware in an automated fashion. And each, of, each of those approaches drive towards each other. They're like opposite ends driving towards each other where they, they collide. Um, but also they teach you a lot of the DevOps fundamental skills along the way.
1: Absolutely. I think that's solid advice for, for either, either angle.
0: And then there's, I feel bad for saying this, but then there's like the security aspect too, that we haven't really touched on a whole lot. And I think that's one of the big glaring weaknesses for a lot of companies. So along this, along this whole path, you have to be thinking about security. And then that leads to the question of, well, how do I check if I'm secure or not? Because if I opened up this thing to the world and don't know what opening it up to the world means, I don't really know that I've created a security vulnerability.
1: That's right. Security is such a a big topic and it's, I mean, there obviously there are security professionals, so that's all they think about all day long. And even with those people employed by big companies, there are security breaches. So it's it's a it's a really big thing. I think my best advice for somebody new getting into this stuff is use some security scanning tools to start with. It's not perfect, but you know you can look for static application security testing or dynamic se- application security testing, SAST or DAST for short basically static application testing just looks at your at your source code and or your executables it might look at your docker image for example and and just just see what things are installed and are there known security vulnerabilities and will report that to you so that's an easy way to start dynamic application security testing usually executes your code or, or does something a little bit more advanced with it this is not a this won't Solve everything. I mean, if you're storing passwords insecurely in your database, this probably won't catch that, but it will. It will get some things. So it's a good place to start. Um, aside from that, uh, I, I really don't know. I mean, it's. It, I'm a fairly security-minded person, and I tend to. When I'm doing code reviews, I tend to catch the things like insecure password storage and and sequential IDs being exposed publicly and things like this. I tend to notice that, but it's not because I was born that way, of course. It's because I made those mistakes a hundred times in the past right. and I learned from them. So I, I don't know of a shortcut. Uh, maybe somebody does. I don't know. I, I guess you just have to learn that stuff, be thinking about it, be aware of it to the best of your ability and and learn from your mistakes as time goes
0: on. Yeah. And I think this is a really good place to bring this back to DevOps being a whole team-based thing. Like if you're just starting out, one thing you can do along those lines is go to like a local security group meetup, you know, because the security guys will hang out in different meetups. And if you have to do it, virtually these days, that's fine too, but they'll hang out and they'll talk about different things and you'll pick up things, but you'll also build relationships where you are building a network of people you can ask things of. So then you get this product where you think it's in, in, in an end state and you can ask this person, Hey, can you take a look at this? And there's not a security person on the face of the earth that if you ask them to hack your stuff will pass on that offer. I mean, they live and breathe for that. So you'll have more help than you wanted. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. All right, cool. That feels like a good stopping point to me. I feel like we've given a couple of different avenues to people because I think most people gravitate towards one or the other. They either gravitate towards hardware and operating system type stuff or they gravitate towards building code. And I feel like we've given some pretty actionable approaches from both of those paths i think so i think so all right cool then i i vote we wrap this one up and i mean i'm sure we could continue talking on for another hour but no, no it de- feels like I, a good stopping point I,
1: I think i think anybody listening to this probably has take, gotten a takeaway or they're not going to and
0: <laughs> <laughs> and if that's the case we'll hear about it on twitter <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> hey folks if you love this podcast and would like to support the show or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium.
0: All right, cool. Let's do some picks.
2: All right. Shall I go first? Sure. So I'm going to do a,
1: a shameless self-plug today. Nice. I just had a, an article I wrote a few weeks ago. It, it showed up on DZone. Right on. And it, it's related to today's topic. It's called "How to Learn DevOps." So I'll have a link to that in uh, the show notes. But uh, it it's basically the the five minute version of what we talked about with fewer nuances, and it's really focused at developers. I kind of skimmed over the operational aspect of stuff. But yeah, that's going to be my
0: pick for this week. Right on. Awesome. I can't wait to check that out. So I've got two picks this week. One, there's an article I read a couple of days ago from Matt Duggan. I think I'm saying his right name right, Duggan. It's one of those names. It's like my last name. People see my last name, Button. And unless they've heard it before, they instantly assume that it has to be some weird pronunciation. Bouton? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, Mr. Bouton. No, no, it's, it's, it's Button. I'm as redneck as they get. You can just. Lay it out there. But anyway, he's, he's got an art, an article called our Docker files good enough. And I really like the, the things he's approached here. Just talking about common mistakes that we see in Docker files every day that we need to break those habits or work towards breaking those habits. Things like building your Docker image using something's latest tag or running apt get installs in your images. And so I'll put a link to that in there. And then the other one. Not technically related, I'm working my way through Brian Green's book until the end of time, and it's just fascinating. You know it's hard to read a book by a physicist and use the word fascinating in that sentence, but this one actually is so he's the book is talking about the universe from the beginning of time until the end of time, and he approaches it from all these different angles from obviously from Physics and the atomic level, but he also addresses like common narratives, myths, religion, uh, science, and merges all these together through entertaining stories that just provides a ton of different perspective and insight. And the book's just super cool. I really can't recommend it enough, which is really hard to do when you're talking about a 600 page book written by a physicist.
1: All right. Uh, you had me sold until you said 600 pages. But
0: anyway. <laughs> I, I think it's if it might. Yeah, I don't know if it's really 600 pages. It is a long book for sure, but I'm reading it on my Kindle. So I don't actually know when it gives you page numbers. So I'm the, like
1: The number of pages depends on your font size, right?
0: I Yeah, I've always wondered. I've never checked that. Like, is it Kindle pages or is this like the pages? If you were to actually hold a physical copy of the book, I'm not really certain on that. We'll have to uh-huh. figure that out. I'll I'll yeah. figure that out and report on next week's podcast. What is a page number in Kindle?
1: 448 pages according to Amazon. So yeah, that's it, it's it's going back into my interested column.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> so somewhere between 448 and 600 is the go no go zone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I hear you.
1: I, I think it's a 450, so you're you're two pages on. <laughs> <laughs> Well,
0: if it helps, part of those 448 pages are probably, you know, the the editorial reviews that they include, and then there's the appendix. I mean, oh, I have
1: footnotes and everything. Oh, right.
0: Okay. Yeah. Which yeah. nobody needs that.
1: Okay. I'll order it right
0: now. <laughs> right <on. laughs> All right. And is there anything else I'm supposed to do as the host? I'm sure Chuck loves it whenever he le- hears that I'm hosting. and He's like, oh, God. Did, did, wasn't the new rule book? Didn't it say the host has to sing? If it does, I'm going to veto that rule. Okay. for for the benefit of the listeners. Um, we we I used,
1: appreciate you looking out for them.
0: Yeah, because I used to play in a band whenever I was a kid and um, they actually unplugged my microphone, you know, because was like the chorus part, you know, where you're supposed to get up and, and they're like, go up to the mic, dude, but we're just going to unplug it. And I'm like, cool, understood.
1: At least they told you you unplugged. You didn't, you were not in your heart out thinking people could hear you.
0: (laughs) I know, it was obvious when they unplugged it. (laughs) Like, you just play. (laughs) All right. Cool. Well, that's a wrap. Thanks everyone for listening and uh, we'll see you all in the next episode. Adios.
2: Bandwidth for this segment is provided by CashFly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with CashFly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.